Hello and welcome to Living Proof, the Isaac Newton Institute podcast. My name is Dan Aspel and I'm your host. Now, if you've listened to an episode of this podcast previously, you will have noticed that the title is new. We thought that after two years and nearly 30 episodes, it would be a good idea to give the podcast a proper name. We very much hope it works for you. In this episode, I will be speaking to Dr. Marianne Freiberger and Rachel Thomas of PLUS magazine, with whom the Institute has recently started a new collaboration. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, so thanks very much for joining us, uh, Marianne Freiberger and Rachel Thomas. Nice to be here, thank you. Hello. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's a real pleasure, and obviously you are both uh, the public-facing part of Plus magazine. Uh, both the editors, I believe, is that right? That's right, yes. Yeah. Um, and so Plus magazine is, uh, for anyone that wants to look at the website, which uh, is quite easy to remember, it is uh, plus.maths.org, uh, is quite comprehensive, I think, in terms of what you do. It's, uh, the, the description you uh, put at the very beginning is that it introduces readers to the beauty and practical applications of mathematics, which is lovely. But it's also even more fun than that, I think. And you do a lot of interviews, you do a lot of articles, all kinds of things like that. Um, but before we talk about Plus... Uh, and our collaboration with you. I'd just like to know a little bit about yourselves and your backgrounds, because that's equally interesting. So um, let's start at the top left of my screen uh, with Marianne. Okay, well, I've been working at PLUS since 2005, I think, so it's 15 years now, or a bit more. Um, And during that time, I've been working as the editor, so Rachel and I share that editing position where we do all sorts of things. And before that, I was a mathematician, so I did a PhD in pure mathematics at Queen Mary University of London, followed by a three-year postdoc position at the same place. And then, yeah, then I just kind of got this job at PLUS by accident because I wasn't really, I didn't really find any postdoc that I wanted to do or where they wanted me. (laughs) (laughs) And And then I saw the job ad and it was actually a maternity cover as Rachel was going off on the maternity leave. And that's how I got the job. And then... The other person who was editing Plus at the time, Helen Joyce, left, so I got to stay, and that's how I ended up there, and I'm very happy. We never let her leave. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, what an amazing mixture of skills that must be required to do this job, though. Um, so you, you, you could have taken a PhD uh, postdoc position, but instead you came to work on this magazine. There can't be many people actually qualified to do this job, right? Uh, well, I wouldn't say that when I got it, I was particularly qualified. I mean, all my all I had as a background was my, my maths background, so I didn't have any journalistic training or anything. But but I, I just really, really enjoyed it because I think what I found so hard about mathematical research was the fact that you focus on quite a small, on, on a tiny area, really, and you, you drill down really, really deep. Whereas the, my current job, our current job is just the opposite. Like, we cover anything, like from cosmology to you know mathematics and sport to the arts and all sorts of things and and we so we have this breadth but we don't have as much depth because you know I don't have to go down to cutting at re- cutting at research level we just have to understand enough to get it across to somebody else so that suits me a lot better than the research and and then the other skills I suppose we just pick them up on the job in a sense so you learn how to write and I had great training from Helen Joyce, who was there before, and from Rachel, who'd been doing the job a lot longer than me than I had. So I guess we just picked it up as we went along. 
As someone with a uh, journalism qualification, I think it's probably a lot easier to pick up what I do on the job than it is to pick up what a mathematician does on the job. <laughs> so I'm saying it, you don't have to. Um, and Rachel, tell me about your story that brought you to uh, Plus Magazine. Uh, so I'm from Australia. And when I, so I did a master's uh, with some research in pure maths in Australia. And I thought I was set to be a mathematician but then I thought I'd try the world of work and ended up working as an analyst. Um, I sort of was consulting to government and to industry and actually really liked that so I didn't at that time I wasn't using any of the maths I'd learnt in my sort of last few years of university but really enjoyed you know learning new maths every time for every every project I'd have to use an a new piece of mathematics, new mathematical kind of approach. And I really enjoyed the communicating to clients and trying to explain what we were doing. And I also really enjoyed talking to them about what they did and then trying to unpick the maths in what they were doing and trying to find a way to bring maths to their problems and help them solve them. Um, so that's what I really enjoyed. And then uh, my partner and I decided we would move to the UK, originally just for two years. That was in... 1999 uh, and um, and I applied for the job then um, I can't remember how I found it I think I probably was reading plus at the time which plus started in 1997 it was quite early on in the sort of public engagement websites trying to um, write maths in a popular style for the general public and so I think I probably found plus when I was sort of just you know browsing the internet at that time applied for the job over there um worked in a few different roles when I came over here uh but have been working specifically on plus since 2001 and yeah as Marianne said I just came with my mathematics uh official training I guess I'd had a few years um writing about mathematics for a different audience in that I was writing sort of um, reports on the work we were doing for you know government officials or industry uh, clients but really we sort of have learnt on the job and, and in some ways what we do is just try to be really curious and really open and be willing to ask lots of questions. I think that's the thing I've learned is that you have to be really willing to ask lots of questions because I think in a way, the times we've done our best work is when we've really acted on behalf of the reader and asked all the questions we think they'd ask that they'd be interested in and try and follow our curiosity. And then just try and explain it in as clearly and, and as simply as possible. Um, yeah, so that's that's sort of what my background is. Brilliant, and and as you both came from uh, uh, Marianne, yes, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I just I, I just wanted to say one thing that's really important as well is that um, we had our, a boss who was incredibly inspirational, John Barrow, who sadly passed away last year, and having him, I mean, him. Some of your listeners may know him. He's written scores of popular science books, and it was an incredibly good researcher. So having him as somebody to sort of mentor us or I mean he wasn't a hands-on teacher but we learned a lot from him as well just his presence and reading his books and talking to him 
I was yeah, fortunate he, enough to see him speak to a group of A-level students who were visiting the Institute. Um, and he was explaining about the mathematics of sport, which is the topic you've already mentioned. Um, and he was just, absolutely, as you say, inspirational. He, he made it so interesting and so straightforward, but didn't dumb it down. It was a real, real pleasure to listen to him. You know, John is, was a fantastic mentor. Um, I nearly said is. <laughs> John was a fantastic mentor. He, um, yeah, I think we he really encouraged our curiosity. Um, we, you could go and ask him anything about any topic under the sun, and he'd either be able to tell you about it immediately because he had an amazing knowledge and amazing memory, or he'd be really excited because he didn't know it, and then he'd try and often stand at the board immediately and try and work it out for you. So <laughs> he, um, yeah, he was a fantastic mentor, and I think we did learn a great deal from him in our work. As you, as you both came from uh, a mathematical education, do you sometimes feel like, uh, to use the phrase, two roads diverged in a yellow wood? Um, do you feel like you, do you ever look back and wish you had gone into uh, professional mathematics, into being an academic? I don't. I mean, um, I'm happy with what I've chosen to do. I, I still have a lot of friends back from my PhD days and things who are professional mathematicians. And um, I, I, I love talking to them and seeing what they're doing. But I always think, no, I'm happy on my patch because I just really enjoy the communication angle and I enjoy the breadth. Mm. You know, I, I enjoy the fact that one day we can be thinking about Stephen Hawking's work and then the next day, you know, what is the last thing we do? The mathematics of shuffling or you know something to do with COVID obviously so I just love that breath and yeah so I don't regret it anything <laughs> <laughs> anything that's very impressive <laughs> um, I, I've really uh, I've really enjoyed our work and like Marianne says there's something incredibly lucky about being able to learn about so many different subjects and work with just some of the most amazing people um i mean occasionally i miss the in-depth knowledge when i was you know doing research on a tiny area of semi-group theory like i knew that from axioms to the end of what was known kind of thing so um you you don't have that depth of knowledge but the breadth of knowledge is amazing and it's yeah they're just the opportunities you get to meet people and talk to people and People have been incredibly generous. Researchers are so generous about giving you time and being really willing to sit down with you and try and explain their work. So, yeah, I think we're pretty lucky. There have been a couple of occasions when I've been tempted, though. Um, and the one that I remember most clearly is I read, um, I think it's Stephen Strogatz's book called Sync. And that was the first time since I left my um, sort of university days where I actually went, oh, actually, <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> and the other time was um, sort of yeah, getting into kind of network theory. So, but I think that's that depth thing. It's that, that pleasure it must be that researchers have of just knowing something so thoroughly. Um, but, but it's a, yeah, so it's a balance. But I, yeah, I'm really glad that I, I'm thankful every time I interview a new researcher and get really excited about learning a new thing that I get to do the job that I do. I think the numbers speak for themselves, though. I mean, 20 years and 15 years, that, you know, that, that doesn't just uh, imply that you are coasting along. I mean, you must love it because there are plenty of other things you could head off to. Um, so, it, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a real treat to find out more about Plus, Plus magazine. Can you tell me, um, we mentioned a little bit earlier about your readership. Who is 
the average reader if they exist for Plus magazine? Well, it's very hard to say for sure because we're primarily um, online. Uh, but from the feedback we get from readers and from sort of the networks, the contacts we have through the sort of maths network, uh, we have a strong readership in sort of older school students like GCSE A-level students and their teachers. And I think particularly for those readers, it's about finding a bigger picture and a context maybe for the work that they're learning in school and trying to really stimulate and inspire to keep studying mathematics. But I think probably a more significant part of our readership, at least half is our rough estimate, is from just interested members of the general public, people who did maths at school. They may never have done specifically mathematical work since, but there's a real appetite in the community now to understand maths it's no longer I think it's losing this veneer of an ivory tower that you can't possibly engage with and I think that over the 20 years that I've been working on plus you see the popularity of maths as a as a subject growing more and more for radio shows for television shows for movies so I think it's um I think we have a growing part of our audiences that just the interested members of the general public um, I'm interested uh, to find out what you would say to uh, a young person that you meet when, you know, maybe it's um, a, a friend of one of your children or, or something like that, and they ask what you do. What, how would you sell it as, a, as, a, as an experience? How would you convince someone to go on the website or otherwise consume what you make? I think, again, it's it's probably through through the breadth of it. So, And I think that... Um, you know, there's parts of our readerships which come in not because they want to read about maths, but because they're perhaps interested in another topic and then find that we have it, we have something covering that topic on the website from a mathematical angle. So if I if I were to sell it to someone, and I do try to sell it to friends and things like that, and, and that's normally what I do because somebody might be saying, oh, you know, whatever, well, recently, especially somebody might be saying, I don't really understand this how they can work out the R number in COVID or I don't I'm not sure about the vaccines and then I'll say well we do have something on that so go on the website and somebody else might be fascinated by I don't know astronomy or something so again I can say go and look or even you know there's stuff in the arts there's stuff in music so I think like if I wanted to yeah if I want to draw somebody in I will try to find out what they may be interested in and just suggest that we probably have something on that and it will mm. be covered from a different angle than elsewhere because obviously elsewhere often the mathematical aspect might not be covered if you read an article on something elsewhere. Um, so that's something that we can bring to it. Mm. Yeah. I was just thinking what I would ask and it would probably be how does Shazam work? How does it know what song I'm listening to? That's incredible. I would love to interview the <laughs> the developers of Shazam. That would be amazing. And of course, it's on it's on Android phones now as well. I mean, not as Shazam, but you know, it's it's silently listening to all of your music. Great, very uh, what a world, what a time to be alive, eh? Um, <laughs> that's uh, that's really interesting. So um, selling it to people, I mean, it doesn't sound like it's ever that difficult to uh, convince people that it's worth a look. No, and I think there was. I've tried this a few times myself, but the best times I've seen it done was uh, Robert Hunt. I think it was Robert Hunt who used to be deputy director of the Isaac Newton Institute. 
And when I started at Plus, he was the executive editor of Plus. So a long time ago, we had a link, uh, a solid link to the INI as well. And he used to give a talk where he would say, okay, tell me something and I'll tell you what's mathematical about it. And and I've done that a couple of times and luckily it's always paid off and almost always we've got something written about it. Um, (laughs) So I think that's the thing is, it's quite rare now, but if you do get in in a kind of reaction of, oh, I don't like maths, what's that got to do with anything? Then it is actually ridiculously easy to find a mathematical angle on most things and I think it's the surprise if people are not are set up to not be interested it's the surprise that there is a mathematical angle to art or politics or um, sociology or I don't know something else that they don't expect to be there I think that that surprise factor is sometimes quite useful in luring people in yeah <laughs> Because uh, I guess you've got very distinctly two kinds of people. There's the kind who seek you out, and there's the kind who actively try to avoid you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And actually, I think we're, in a way, more more keen or more intrigued by people who wouldn't actively seek us out. And it's really interesting when you find a subject that you it's clear that you have pulled people in, like often you'll see through the search terms in your web stats. Um, so there's been times when we've had really big spikes of traffic to something and it's clearly because they've been searching I don't know I'm trying to think of a good example Marianne like when we covered the water cube the the aquatic center in the Beijing Olympics Mm. um, that actually had an incredibly mathematical structure and but that went through the roof and they weren't coming because they were looking for that or there's a really good article Marianne wrote on um, maths and hallucinations and you can tell from the comments <laughs> left on that article that people haven't come specifically seeking out the maths but it's provided a really fascinating um, you know part of their exploration of that subject on the web yeah yeah did you read Huxley's uh, Doors of Perception yes yeah yes. very good yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah, that article has quite interesting comments. But but I think, I mean, personally, I was thinking about that the other day, actually. Personally, I think that whenever somebody's done that, like come to PLUS, for, for, not for a math reason, but because they were interested in the hallucinations they were getting in certain circumstances, or or because they literally want to know about the water cube, or because they want to know something about the things with COVID. And if all they do is just kind of read or start reading that one article and go away thinking like, oh, yeah, it's actually maths. So you can use maths to understand this thing. That's a success for me. You know, like that's already mm-hmm. like good, even if they just come away with a tiny realization that maths is useful and relevant and interesting in that context. That's that's already a win. Mm. I think that's one of our main goals really is revealing the maths behind um everyday life current affairs and also the other big aim we have is to really reveal the human side of maths and the creative side of maths so one of the nice things is we work with all these researchers and we really try to convey their passion and enthusiasm for their work because I think people particularly at school you know it can be dull the way you're presented with maths. It can be presented as things that are fixed, things that are done, it's finished, learn this, pass your exam, move on. 
where actually we want to show that maths is a really dynamic, creative, inventive subject that's done with these people who have as much passion for it as an artist or a musician or something. So I think that's the other thing that's a real pleasure and a real aim is to present that human side of of the subject. And that's something I think that you definitely achieve um, and through a variety of mediums as well because you have the written articles um, and this is just from my familiarity with your content. Uh, you have a podcast of your own. You uh, shoot videos and I've actually attended when you were shooting one of your videos before. Really, really nice stuff. Uh, you uh, have your social media outlets. Um, what else am I missing? I think that just about covers it. <laughs> I mean, I think there were there were times in, in the before times that we used to actually speak to people face to face. I don't remember them. Talk. I don't know about you. No, I know. <laughs> it's a distant, blurry memory. But we did, um, we have uh, at various times given talks. Marianne's given a TED talk. Uh, we've given talks at schools and um, festivals and things like that. So, but I think primarily we are, we provide material online through the outlets that you've mentioned, and it is really nice exploring these other ways of podcasts and video. Uh, but we, even with those, often we have that backed up by a written article because it lets you go to a deeper level I think that's the other thing that maybe we do at plus that's different to some other um, more popular outlets is we really try to get to some level of depth in the work um, because it's a chance for the researchers to actually maybe get closer to what they're actually doing and that is harder to get across in a podcast or a video and so it's really nice to have that combination of the two or three things. Yeah, as you say, there are some um, very popular maths outlets, maths communications outlets, and they are almost exclusively a YouTube channel, for example. And uh, there is a lot of appeal to that because it's very popular and easy to consume. But And they're brilliantly done. Yeah, indeed. Um, but having the, the backup of the written articles, as you say, and I've, I've always been interested that you have some articles written from the editorial, perhaps anonymous point of view, and then you have others which are clearly an interview with a person. I mean, I don't know if you write them on the behalf of the of the person that you've interviewed, but it's about a particular mathematician's specialty, generally, mm. which I guess is kind of where the I and I collaboration comes in okay. as well, because um, we've only just started working together, um, but it seems absurd that we haven't been beforehand. Um, it's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And um, we're going to be essentially um, uh, providing you although that makes it sound like it's not between you and the academics that we're really just facilitating you speaking to a lot of the wonderful academics who pass through the building each year and obviously in the in the before time that was um two and a half thousand or so people each year uh, each one of them brilliant and now it's exactly the same it's just some of the events will be virtual so um it's really exciting to think of what lies ahead we've already got a good plan going on i think mm. um yeah, it is. I mean, for us, it's hugely exciting because, well, the, the quality of people who come through the Newton Institute is obviously fantastic. But then it's also, again, it's breadth, isn't it? Because your programs explore all sorts of areas of mathematics as well. Um, so, you know, we've just th been thinking about one, um, a program you had focusing on group theory and representations, which is very pure. And then you're also doing the infection, well, you have been doing the infectious disease things. And then there's something on asymptotic methods soon. Yeah. So it's just, again, like, I think we're so excited because we know that we can just, we will get to just to, to cover all sorts of things. So we're not sort of forced into one direction, yeah. which is going to be great. 
Uh, at the risk of um, completely destroying my professional credibility, I'm really excited to hear what you've got to say about some of these programmes because I'd like them explained to me. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're actually, um, just this afternoon, we're going to, Marianne and I are going to record a podcast um, based on some interviews we did with someone from one of the Newton Institute programmes, Cheryl Prager, before, right in the early days of the pandemic, she gave a brilliant lecture there. And... I mean, that's just such an exciting opportunity to have spoken to her. Um, she actually was my professor when I was at university oh, in really? Australia. So wow. it was doubly a yeah. pleasure for me to talk to her. Uh, so we, she was talking about the maths of shuffling, which does involve group theory, but is, is on the more um, accessible end of group theory. And it gave us an opportunity to then go and interview a magician about how he uses shuffling. And he's brilliant. He's called... Will Houston, he's a professional conjurer and he's also in the magician in residence at the Imperial College London. Oh well that is a great position. That is yeah, brilliant. <laughs> he's knew? such an amazing person. Yeah. And then but they both t gave us these really fascinating insights into how they use shuffling and both of them gave us a really mathematical perspective actually. And then we've got to combine that with some really um, more detailed articles about uh, higher level group theory which we could do because of the archive of material we have and the sort of coverage we've done before. And also then based on your interviews with the organizers, Dan, Marianne's now written an article kind of really highlighting the purpose and um, motivations of that program. So it's a really great opportunity to kind of cover something from so many different ways and to pull in all that respective expertise on both sides. Um, yes. Yeah, they're really looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, what a challenge, though, to take, uh, because the Isaac Newton Institute is a, a research centre, and thus most of the activities, if not all, that take place are at the, the edge of most of these subjects. They're, they're pushing the science forward. Um, but to take that kind of material and turn it into something which is digestible for uh, a Plus magazine audience, because your mission is to explain and communicate, is this a big challenge? Um. Yes, it is, um, especially because, as you said, like the programs vary and then there are some we will already know quite a bit about and others we just won't. So there are some that are definitely going to be harder than others. But again, like the main help and resource that we have there are the people, because I think if something looks really, really impenetrable at first, you're always going to get the best insights from a person. Um, and then obviously you go away and you read papers and you look at books maybe or things like that. But just to if, if you find a person who can really convey intuitively roughly what's going on, I think that opens a massive door and then that's what we can we can pass on. And then I think because it's a bit experience as well, because we've just learned bits and pieces from all over the place, which probably makes it a bit easier. Because I was just remembering the other day, one of my very, very first plus experiences was actually uh, going to interview somebody who was taking part in a Newton Institute program and it was about animal gates and the symmetries involved in animal gates walk trot canter involving a lot of group theory oh god and I remember I was I found it so hard and I was thinking oh my god this is my first thing and I'm failing already um, but now with all these years that I've been doing this it's easier because I think oh yeah I've heard about this before I know there's group theory involved in animal gates and so so there's a certain basis there already which makes it a lot easier than it was to begin with mm. and I, I think we kind of um, we wrote a book a few years ago called Numericon that we kind of pretended to ourselves was a 
a tour guide, like a travel guide, but it was about mathematics. So I think we think of ourselves as tourists very much in the various mathematical places, but um, we go there and try and figure out the landscape and figure out the sites that are worth, that are easily accessible or definitely worth the effort of, you know, taking those extra steps to get there. Um, And I think in a similar way, we try and map out how you can get to those cutting edge things because we always want to be able to give a flavour of the actual research that people are doing, who we're speaking to. But we try, we often try and break that up. So the the coverage of the groups and representation programme that we're trying to put together at the moment has sort of detailed articles, but that it has a lot of these things which we often call maths in a minute where we'll cover what a group is, we'll cover what a cyclic group is. And so we'll kind of give you stepping stones to follow if you want to get through. So we try and provide a bridge really between really accessible material that is an overview, is an introduction, all the way through to a more detailed picture of what this sort of more cutting edge research is. So it's about kind of slicing and dicing it, I think, a bit. Yeah, the introductory things really work for me, I have to say, because I don't have a higher education in maths. But I'm, you know, obviously fascinated by it. So it's really, really interesting to get that um, that first step into a subject, uh, so that I know enough about it to uh, just comprehend the subject. I think uh, because that's another thing is that mathematics is is littered with um, such vocabulary uh, to the extent where even though you can understand every word that's being said, perhaps you can't make any sense of a paragraph. And even if it's you know it's your native language, you you understand that this should be understandable to you. Um, but it really is, well, it's the old saying, isn't it? It's all Greek to me, but um, it's, it, it really does feel like a different language. It's, a, it's quite a, a sort of dissonant experience uh, for a non-mathematician. I think that's one of the barriers is there is a lot of technical um, vocabulary and also notation. So that's the other thing is maths has its own way of writing a lot of um, of these sort of mathematical statements. And and there's a simplicity and an elegance to it and it lets you capture a lot and state it really clearly but like you said you need to have that language to get there so I suppose you know we try and provide a bit of a um, way to bridge that language gap maybe where people are still saying the same things but sometimes we do work quite hard to um, with researchers to try and find more accessible ways to say the same thing they're saying or break it up and understand it in piece by piece yeah yeah that's fantastic um tell me the the position that plus is in at the moment do you have any uh sort of ambition for where you want it to be in five years time are you in a a good place is there any way that you want to alter what you're doing well i think the collaboration with the ini is one of the things we're most excited about because it is this longer term project um over you know a number of years and and it because it's such a breadth of material that we're going to be able to cover that's a really exciting prospect for us so I think we're looking forward to doing that over the next five years and sort of building on that into the future I think the other thing that I'm personally you know hoping that we'll carry on doing um, over the next five years and into the future is this collaboration with researchers and institutes and um, really providing this bridge and working 
as much for an audience of academics and researchers and helping them communicate their work to the public as we are working for our readers in giving them really interesting content. So I think that's the sort of that's something that we've done more and more over the last five, ten years is really started to work really closely with organisations and researchers. And I think that's the thing that brings a real strength to what we do. And I hope that that's something we carry on doing. I think that's something which for anyone outside of Cambridge seems very odd because you hear the University of Cambridge and you assume it's all one homogenous body. It's really not, is it? It's so compartmentalised to the extent where we are both on the Centre for Mathematical Sciences, which is not a very big place. It's very beautiful. It's very interesting. But it's not a huge footprint. And yet we haven't been working together. I, mean, I could throw a tennis ball from the door and hit you know, your window, probably. <laughs> and yet um, we're not one and the same thing, which is odd, uh, I think, yeah. from the outside. But there's a lot, so much to be gained. And even within the maths faculty... You know, I think that's one of the interesting things about the site where we're all located. And I think that was one of the purposes of the building of that site because the pure and the applied maths used to be split across different sites. And I mean, that's one of the things I'm missing is we have this central core area in the building that we work in, which serves terrible coffee, but very good conversation. <laughs> very expensive and, uh, as well. Yeah. Expensive <laughs> and terrible coffee. Um, but uh, but it was this amazing opportunity, and I think that was the point of the, the design of the building, was to allow more mixing between the different groups of mathematicians. And I think, uh, and that's what I understand, is one of the strengths of the Isaac Newton Institute as well. It's about bringing people together. So I think actually if I think of what I really hope for in five years' time is we're back at work <laughs> and we're, we're meeting people in person and we're having those co- conversations in the corridors and over coffee that I think gives you as much, you know, interesting ideas and things to work with as the formal arranged interviews and things. Mm. And it's not just in mathematics, is it? Because one of the... One really interesting th- interesting thing we did last year actually came through a Newton Institute program and the person we eventually went to interview uh, was at St. Thomas's Hospital, wasn't he, in London. So he, you know, he, he wasn't a mathematician, even though he might, I can't quite remember if he had a maths background, but he wasn't. He was working on how to build, um, you know, personalised personalized models of somebody's body to decide on treatment options and so forth. So so it's not just within mathematics that this sort of collaboration is interesting, but it's great to go out and to work with people from other subject areas who have a very mathematical approach to what they're doing. Mm. Now, that was the very memorably titled uh, The Fickle Heart Programme. Yes, The yeah. Fickle Heart, that's what yeah. it was called. And it was fascinating. It sounds like Poe, um, doesn't it? It sounds like a classic piece <laughs> of poetry. Yes. And I mean, just, just this week, I sat on, on something that was organised by the Newton Gateway. Um, and it was a workshop on cardio, cardiovascular waiting times, which obviously now are a real problem. And that was so fascinating because you had clinicians and you had mathematicians and they were brainstorming about what can we possibly do to bring those waiting times down, make sure people get the care they need? And it's just that 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 collaboration and interdisciplinarity that is just so fascinating as well. Yeah, it seems like there's just such a huge amount to be gained. And it's, I mean, it's very much the vogue, though. I, I mean, I, I like to think that it's in everyone's minds now in academia. So um, the future is bright. Um, where, mm-hmm. where can people who have been excitedly listening to this uh, find everything to do with PLUS? Well, you can come to our website, plus.maths.org. You can also find us online on Twitter and Facebook at Plus Magazine. And 
you can subscribe to us in very various podcast platforms and we're called plus maths on the move Mm, excellent um well i think that's a really good amount of time i've taken up a good amount of your morning really disrupted your workflow so i'm very pleased with that um marianne and rachel it's been a real pleasure to talk to you Pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I mean, doubtless we'll speak again because we're going to be working together uh, plenty. And uh, yeah, keep an eye on uh, newson.ac.uk as well for uh, our collaborations. They'll be across both sites, I'm sure. Uh, So thanks again and have a lovely day. Thank you.